The following lecture was delivered at the 13th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Providence, Rhode Island, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi David Aaron will now present his lecture, Bold and Blessed, Unleashing Your Power for Abundance. So a number of years ago, I uh, took my son to get a pair of shoes. Uh, he was a little boy, and we're in the store, and the uh, saleswoman says to me, well, what size is your son's shoe? And I said, you know, I'm his father. I don't even know his age, but, uh, but I don't know. She says, oh, no problem, no problem. We'll, we'll measure his shoe. So uh, she told my son to take off his right shoe, and she measures his, uh, his, his, his shoe size, his foot size, and she leaves. And my son, who must have been maybe three or four years old at the time, was very disturbed. And he turned to me and says, Abba, Daddy, tell her we want to buy two shoes. Right? <laughs> so things that seem to be so obvious to us uh, isn't always obvious to everybody. So what I want to share with you is something that if we all had a good Jewish education, it would be completely obvious to all of us. But sadly, uh, most of us have not had such a good education. And, and what is this that should be so obvious? What should be so obvious is the power word of a Jewish life. And that power word is the word Baruch. Baruch. And what I want to do is I want to explore with you this incredibly important and powerful word. Now, I've uh, had the opportunity to speak uh, uh, to many audiences. Uh, I have a yeshiva in the old city for uh, teenagers that have graduated from yeshiva high schools. So they've had at least 12 years of Jewish education. And it's really shocking that when I ask them, what does the word Baruch mean? They will say, blessed. And then I will ask them, and what does blessed mean? And they say, Baruch. And I say, well, let's do this again. <laughs> what does it mean to say, blessed are you, God? What, what does that mean? Right? And I'm amazed how few Jews who have had a Torah education really don't know what they're saying. Right? Really don't know what they're saying. Now, most people think that the word Baruch means thank you. Because as you probably are familiar, there's something called a bracha, that before you eat anything, let's say I'm about to eat an apple, I say, Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech olam Most people assume that means thank you, God, for creating the fruit of the tree. Uh, but, but that's not what it says. Because we know how to say thank you. The word for thank you is modeh. And we actually say that every morning when we wake up in the morning, we say, Thanking I am before you, king who is alive. So if we want to say thank you, we know how to do that. We say, What does the word Baruch mean? Now, Rav Silvig, now you have some source sheets here, and maybe we'll get a chance to look at them. We don't have that much time. Uh, but I will do the ideas outside the sources. If there's time permitted, we'll, permitted, we'll go inside the sources. Um, and of course, I want your questions, but what I'd like to do is kind of share with you a whole idea. 
and then uh, we'll leave time at the end for any question that you want to ask. Rav Soloveitchik explains, yes, yeah, they're at the end of all the tables. Rav Soloveitchik explains that if he were asked to sum up all of Judaism in just a few words, he would say, Baruch Atah. And that actually the entirety of Jewish life unfolds from Baruch Atah. All the learning that we do, all the great acts of goodness that we do, the mitzvot, the commandments that we do, the praying that we do, they're all essentially acting out the power and the meaning of Baruch Atah. The question is, what does Baruch Atah mean? Okay. Well, it absolutely does not mean thank you. Okay. I'm not saying there might not be some... Um, element and suggestion of gratefulness, but that's really not its essence, okay? What does the word Baruch mean? So, Baruch Atah Hashem has two translations. Most of you will be familiar with one of them, which is, blessed are you, but another valid translation is, blessed be you, okay? Actually, in the Shimshon Raphael Hirsch Siddur, it is translated as, blessed be you, Although most Sidurim translate it into blessed are you. Whichever way you translate it, what we're trying to accomplish is, is really the same. And what is that? What does the word Baruch mean? Okay. So let's say uh, you get a Rosh Hashanah card coming up soon. A Rosh Hashanah card. And in that Rosh Hashanah card, your friend writes, I bless you this year with Health, wealth, and happiness. Clearly they're not saying, I thank you for wealth, health, and happiness, right? What are they saying? They're saying, may you have an abundance of wealth, health, and happiness. That's what the word Baruch means. That's what it always means. The word Bracha, blessing, means abundance. When a person says they feel blessed, what it essentially means that they feel their life is rich, they feel their life is flourishing, that there's an abundance, there's a wealth in their life of health, of spiritual, uh, of spiritual energy, whatever it is. Okay. So when we say to Hashem, Baruch Atah Hashem, what we're essentially doing is we're saying, may there be an increased manifestation of you. Hashem in this world. So let's say we're about to eat something. So this is very powerful, right? And this, by the way, was, you know, I didn't come from a religious home. I came from a very Jewish feeling home because I always felt very guilty. So I knew I must be Jewish. But I didn't come from a religious home. It was only when I was about 18 that I started my journey back to Judaism. And when somebody explained to me the power of bracha, that made a lot of sense to me. And that was really the first thing I started to do is to start making brachot, blessings on my food. I didn't know what blessing you made on a double cheeseburger, but I made blessings on my food. And it made a tremendous amount of sense. Because Baruch Atah, if I'm holding an apple and I say Baruch Atah, this is going to be more than just an eating experience. I want this apple to be an opportunity to increase the consciousness the manifestation, the revelation of God in the world. Right? Baruch Atah, 
Either you are the source of blessing, which means that this apple's not just an apple. This apple is blessing. This apple is abundance. There's a richness in my hands here. Where does that richness come from? Baruch Atah Hashem. You Hashem are the source of all abundance. And when I acknowledge that, I increase the abundance of God's presence in my life by acknowledging the presence of God in my life. Or if we go with the alternative translation of blessed be you, then I'm essentially saying, I am praying, I am wishing, so to speak, may you, Hashem, may you, God, be blessed. May there be more of you in my life. Now, what would it mean that there would be more of God in my life? And this is really probably the most serious ideas I could ever share. You see, the Kabbalah teaches that we have a power. When God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and to you will be blessing, right? our sages tell us, actually a real tradition explains, that God says, you know, Abraham, until now, the power of blessing was in my hand, but now I'm giving you the power of blessing. And what is that power of blessing? The power of blessing is we have like our hands on the dimmer switch. And we can either turn up the light of God's presence in the world or, God forbid, turn down the light of God's presence in the world. But the important thing to understand here is you need to take ownership of your world because you and I are co-creating this world right this very second. And the question is, are you creating a world Filled with the presence of God? Or are you creating a world that's not so and maybe not at all filled with the presence of God? A number of years ago, a friend of mine was a rabbi. He was going to a bar mitzvah. This was a bar mitzvah of a fellow who had kind of reconnected with his Judaism much later in his life. And he never had a bar mitzvah. So he very much wanted his mother to be there also. You know, somebody's got to pay. And so he wanted his mother to be there. And on the way to the bar mitzvah, this rabbi friend of mine was going to the bar mitzvah. The mother was very upset. Her son is a balchuva, nouveau religious, crazy guy, going, ugh, having his bar mitzvah when he was in his mid-30s. So she turns to my friend and she says, you know, I don't believe in God. So my friend sweetly turned to her and says, well, don't. She couldn't believe it. Every religious person she ever said this to would either argue with her or try to or try to persuade her. But she said, you know what? I don't believe in God. He says, so don't. She was so taken aback by that. She turned to him. She said, how can you say that? You're a rabbi. He said, listen, if you want to live in a godless world, go ahead. Right? You see, very often people don't take responsibility for their philosophy. I call this responsible philosophizing, you know, like responsible drinking. There's also responsible philosophy. You need to realize that your philosophy is creating the quality of your life. What you think about the table doesn't really make much difference to the table. But what you think about yourself, what you think about what your life is about, what you think about what powers you being gifted, that makes all the difference in your life. And I want to tell you the most amazing power that Judaism is telling us we have. We have the power of blessing. The power of blessing is to create a world that's filled with the presence of God, goodness, peace, love, kindness, justice, truth. That's the presence of God. 
Or a world that's less that. What, what does that mean? So there's an idea that clearly stated in the Kabbalah, but much later on, a very famous philosopher, I, I don't think he got this from Kabbalah, right? Came up with a great question. This is Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, said, do we see reality as it is? Or do we see our perception of reality? Now, this was a big innovation. This was a real paradigm shift. Because who would think this way? Most of us think that we're looking at the room. And the room that you see is the room that is. And Kant was saying, no. Is it possible that there is what is? And then there's your perception of what is, which is contributing to how what is looks to you. Right? In other words, most people think that our brain's like a camera. There's an objective reality, and our, our, our brain takes a picture of an objective reality. We don't contribute to it. We don't in some way alter it, affect it. It is what it is. No, it is what you are. Because the way the world looks to you is the way you look at the world. And it's that serious. It is that serious. So, Immanuel Kant said that there's something he called noumena, reality as it is, and phenomena, which is reality as you perceive it. Right? Now, Rav Cook, one of the great Kabbalists of the um, uh, 1900s, explains that we didn't need, Rav, we didn't need Immanuel Kant to teach us the secret. We knew the secret long time ago was referred to in Kabbalah as the sefira, the attribute of malchut, of kingship. Right? And I'm not going to go into that right now. just want you to know that what Immanuel Kant was saying, between the, the, the distinction between noumena, which is reality as it is, and phenomena, reality as it perceived by you and as it appears to you based on the way you're viewing it, what that called in Kabbalistic terminology is the world of atzilut, which is reality as it is, and then you have three worlds called Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya, which is reality as it's perceived by us. But I can demonstrate this very easily, because if I were able to put into each one of your eyes the power for microscopic viewing, would you be in the same room anymore? Imagine you could see with microscopic viewing. You'd be in a quantum world. There'd be more space Empty space in this room than solidity. Right? So clearly the way this room looks is the way you're looking at the room. Because the way the room actually is, we don't know. We only know, we know there's an objective room, but we don't know what it looks like. We just know what it looks like to us. Now, what does that mean? The way it looks to us means that we are influencing the world as it appears to us. And that's incredibly powerful. That's the power of bracha. Rav Soloveitchik was saying that all of learning Torah and all of doing mitzvot and all of prayer is to reorganize your mind to view reality in a way where your world is more filled with the presence of God. Right now, there's just raw data going into our brains. There's no way of knowing if a dog sitting in this room right, sees the room the way we see it. It's very possible that the raw data that goes into his brain is organized by his brain, and he sees a different kind of room. Right? There's certain animals that don't see certain colors. Or you have a person who is colorblind. 
Right? A person who's colorblind lives in a colorless world. Right? I have a friend, he was in an accident, right? And he lost his taste. He dresses terribly. I'm just joking. Right? He lost his taste. So he lives in a tasteless world. Right? And so, so this woman lives in a godless world. You know, in my early 20s, I was dating a woman. And um, I thought at the time she was my soulmate. And we, got, we got engaged. Thank God her mother had greater vision than I did. And she broke it up. Right? But it, it took me a while to realize that this girl did not believe that she could be loved. She just did not believe that she could be loved. And it wouldn't matter what I would say, what I would do. It didn't matter. She didn't believe that she was worthy of love. So she lives in a loveless world. So what Torah teaches is that the presence of God is everywhere, always. But will the presence of God be in your life? Will the presence of God be visible now for you, objectively right this very second, even in Providence, Rhode Island? Is the presence of God, Maleolam Kvodo, the presence of God fills everywhere. But does the presence of God fill your perceptual world? Right? And that's the question. And that's very, very serious. Right. So there's a Zohar from our Kabbalistic tradition. When Yaakov, Jacob, is on his way down to reunite with his son, Yosef, who he hadn't seen in quite some time. There's a very strange verse where God says to Yaakov, don't worry, Yaakov, Yosef will close your eyes. The Zohar says, well, what God was telling Yosef, I mean Yaakov, is that you're going to be dying in Egypt, but don't worry because Yosef will close your eyes. Because according to Jewish law, when a person passes away, you have to close their eyes or cover their eyes. So the Zohar says, why do you have to cover the eyes of the deceased? And the Zohar says like this, because the colors and the shapes and the texture of this world is in your eyes. This is in our eyes. I'm not saying this is a delusion. I'm not saying this is an illusion. We're saying this is a perception. The question is, is your perception of reality lined up with the way reality actually is, or not. And that's the power of bracha. The power of bracha, blessed be you, Hashem, is I am praying that you, Hashem, be more manifest in my life. There's a very famous story about a rabbi named Rav Hanina Ben Dusa. His daughter went to buy oil for Shabbat candles, for Shabbat lights. She made a mistake. And she bought vinegar, only realizing that minutes before Shabbat, nothing she could do. Her father walks in. He sees his daughter distraught. He says, what's wrong? She said, I made a mistake. This is not, this is not oil. This is vinegar. He said, well, why is, that, why is that a problem? He who says, oil shall light, shall say, vinegar shall light. Light the candles. She lit the vinegar. And it lit like oil. Wow, because that's the power of Amuna. The power of faith is not just, I just kind of believe it, I'd like to believe it, wishful thinking. 
The power of faith is the realization that your perception of reality is determining your world. I'm going to say that again. Your perception of reality is not affecting reality. Reality is, was, and always will be as it is. Reality doesn't change. What changes is your perception of reality, which is called the world. And this world is a perception. And if you change your mind, you'll change your find. And that's what's amazing. That's the story of the splitting of the sea. It says that the Jewish people got to the sea. This is the end of the story. What's going to happen? And it was this one man, right, who says, the sea must split. And he walked into the sea. And it didn't split. It got up to his navel. It didn't split. It got up to his chest. It didn't split. But he believed it has to split. He got up to his nose. He seized. It split. I'm just joking, right? But it split because he so believed. Now, okay, so you got to be very careful, right? Because some people could take this. Well, if I just believe, I don't have to go to a doctor. If I just believe, but you believe and you also go to a doctor. But the idea is the power of blessing is in our hands. So the oral tradition says, God wants to be in the lower realm. With us. Now, if God wants to be in the lower realm with us, then let him be in the ro- lower realm than us. What does that mean? What does it even mean that God wants to be in the lower realm? Exactly what we're explaining over here. We determine whether God will get into our perceptual world. See, right now, let's say there's a bat on my shoulder. Okay? I don't know how many of you know a little bit about bats. Right? <clears throat> but this is the only thing I know about bats, which was taught to me in grade 11 biology. Right? But it was obviously for this talk. So if there's a bat on my shoulder, and he and I are looking at that light source over there, what does the bat see? Anybody know what the bat sees when he looks at the light source? He sees darkness. I see light, he sees darkness. Why? Why do bats fly around at night? Because their eyes can't handle the light. So at night, for them, is light. It's day. And day for them is night. Because if the bat and I were looking at that light bulb, and someone were to increase the intensity of the brightness of the light bulb, what would I see? Greater light. What would he see? Greater darkness. What actually is there? Greater light, but not for him. The Balshemtov explains that a curse is an unwanted blessing. Blessing is trying to get into your life, and you're resisting it. You're not ready for it. You don't want it. And it comes into your life, and it feels terrible. It even looks terrible. It's actually blessing coming into your life. But you're not baruch ataing. Right? You're not practicing the power of blessed be you, God. May there be an increased manifestation of you, God. I want to think in ways that increases the presence of God. I want to speak in ways that increases the presence of God. I want to act in ways that increases the presence of God. But there's something called Galut the exile of the divine presence. We can throw God out of this room. 
Why? Because if we speak Lashon Hara, if we speak slanderous, or we speak in derogatory ways about each other, then clearly we don't believe that the presence of God is in this room. Because if we really believed that the presence of God was in this room, we wouldn't talk that way, right? You know? And if at your home and your son does something wrong, right, and you embarrass him and scream at him in front of all the other kids, we don't believe that God's in the room. Because if you really believed that God was in the room, you wouldn't talk that way. So you just threw God out of the room. Or if you're in your office, and you're doing a deal, and you do a crooked deal, well, if you really believe, Maleol and Foto, the presence of God is everywhere, you wouldn't do that deal. So if you're doing that deal, you're throwing God out of your world. You are creating your world. Again, you don't create reality. You create your perception of reality, which is the world you're living in. And it's that powerful, and so that serious, and a lot of people aren't willing to take ownership of the world that they're in and ask themselves, okay, what am I thinking? What am I doing? What am I saying? Why is the presence of God not being felt in my life? Okay, now there might be other issues too. Got to be very careful with this idea. But this is the idea. It is that serious. So what is Baruch Atamim? Blessed be you, Hashem. May there be increased manifestation and increased presence of you, Hashem, in the world. And it isn't about saying thank you, although there is an element of gratitude that I'm gracious. I'm grateful for the opportunity to bring more God into my life. But it's really the power of your mind. It's really the power of what you believe is the quality of your life. So let's look at a couple of sources here. So you'll see that I didn't make this stuff up. You know, a number of years ago, I was uh, giving my kids uh, for dinner Cheerios. That was, that's, that's dinner. Okay, and uh, while they were having Cheerios... I saw on the box of the uh, Cheerios that it says on the back of the box is a three-dimensional Cheerios bumblebee, their little logo. Well, if you look at the back of the box, it's just this distorted something. It, it doesn't look like anything. But it says that you should press the box against your nose, stare directly ahead, and slowly move the box away from your face to see this three-dimensional bumblebee. Well, I, I paid for this box. I, I want to get my full money. So I, uh, I took the box, I scrunched it against my nose, and I slowly pulled the box away from my face. Right? And I didn't get it. I, I did it again. I put it up to my nose. At that point, my kids are getting very worried why Abba's trying to stuff the Cheerios in his nose. Uh, but anyways, and I slowly pulled it away from my nose, and I didn't get it. And then again, I slowly pulled it away, and I couldn't believe it. I saw the three-dimensional bumblebee, and I, I, I went, oh my gosh! And all my kids ran away. And, um, but it's amazing if you've seen these three-dimensional pictures where you have to stare at it, and suddenly you say, wow. Well, how do you know that's not this? Right? Why are we so sure that this is the way it is? You know, our sages tell us that Adam and Eve had bodies of light. 
They were made of bodies of light. Would have really come in handy at a retreat like this, wouldn't it? <laughs> they have bodies of light. Don't have to worry about all the calories. right? But, okay, they had bodies of light. But after the snake said to them, you know why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad? Because he doesn't want to be like, he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want competition. Right? Well, they, when they bought into his lie, which was basically saying, that you and God are in conflict. You and God, there's some kind of competition going on. So they now perceive themselves that way, as separate and disconnected from God, when in essence, you and I this very second are completely connected to God. But because we don't believe that, we don't perceive that. And so our sages tell us that their bodies of light turned into bodies of skin but this body of skin, which is trying to convince us that we live in this bag, separate from each other, is a perception. And it's a faulty perception. But this is a perception. Okay? So, let's take a look over here. So if you look at the, the first uh, source... This is from the Balatanya. And the Balatanya says like this, Bracha connotes drawing down from above. When you make a bracha, you are drawing from above. What? For example, the Talmud tells us an incident involving the high priest, Rabbi Ishmael, who said, or related, once I went in to offer up the incense in the Holy of Holies, and I beheld God sitting on a high and exalted throne. He said to me, Ishmael, my son, bless me. What, what does God mean, bless me? Although in, in context, this Talmudic narrative teaches us not to take the blessing of an ordinary person lightly, it has deeper significance. In other words, generally the way this piece of Talmud is understood is when God says to Ishmael, bless me, it's teaching us something about that, that, that we should learn that no matter who a person is, if they give you a blessing, take it seriously. But the Balatanya is telling us it's something even deeper than that. So he says like this, God did not really need Rabbi Ishmael's blessing, of course. Rather, the word Barcheni means, bless me, is to be understood in its elemental sense of, through your worship, accomplish the drawing down of my holiness into the physical world. So what does it mean to bless God? And that's what we do when we make a bracha over our food or when we're praying and we're saying, blessed are you. What are we doing? We're drawing the holiness of God into this physical world. Now, why is the holiness of God not in this physical world? Well, we explain. Because of our perception. Because of the blocking out of our perception. You know, one of the things they found with hallucinative drugs is a lot of them are not hallucinative at all. These drugs, some of them actually... I, uh, eliminate a chemical that our brain is generating. So the scientists are explaining that our brain is generating a chemical that is actually filtering out reality. So we think our brain is perceiving reality when a big part of our brain is to filter and screen it out. And what the claims are is some of these so-called hallucinative drugs are not at all hallucination, actually what they do is they cut out these chemicals that are causing the brain to filter reality out 
and allows more reality in. So you might think, well, then maybe we should do that. Right? Maybe we should do that. It's actually on sale for nonprofit. No, I'm just joking, right? No, you don't do that because your brain's not ready for that and to go take chemicals to do that. But say Baruch Atah to do that. Because our brain is functioning as a vehicle that's also screening out reality as it is. So therefore, going back to this, what does it mean that we draw God's holiness into the physical world? Well, God is everywhere. There's no place that God is not, except where you don't look for God. Where you don't open up your heart to God. And that's what Hashem was saying. Ishmael, bring me into this world. What world? The world that you create, which is the perceptual world, which we are this very second. Creating. Look at number two. Actually, let's finish with the Baal Tanya says over there. Likewise, we find the expression, blessed is God from world to world, which does not simply mean may God receive a blessing, but more, may God's holiness be revealed and transmitted down to us from the lofty spiritual world known as Almadas de Itkasia, the world of hiddenness, beyond our ability to perceive into this world in which we live, which is Almadias Galia. That's the point. We're here to bring the presence of God into our lives. That's what we're doing with the Baruch Atah. And essentially Judaism is a, um, a physics of consciousness. Literally a physics of consciousness. You know, Imagine if we were radios. We didn't know we were radios. right? And there's this beautiful music playing in the room. And one radio hears it and the other radio doesn't know what you're talking about. He says, isn't that beautiful? He says, what are you talking about? You don't hear it? No, what are you talking about? Well, you know what? You're not tuned in. So he tells him to tune in, and he, but he doesn't quite get it. And what does he hear? This terrible noise in his head. What is that terrible noise? That's actually the music. But because the radio is not tuned into the music, the music is just sounding like terrible noise. Right? But if the radio tunes into the music, he will hear that music. So too. Are we in a world of chaos, of all the static noise? Just like when your radio isn't quite tuned and you just get this terrible noise. That terrible noise is not noise. It's actually the music trying to get through. So our minds are like receivers. And when we learn Torah and when we pray and when we do mitzvot, we are literally, literally designing, engineering our minds to be more receptive to the presence of God and literally live in a world where the presence of God is there. That's the story of the great Maggid of Mizrich. You know, in, the, uh, in Mizrich, suddenly, everybody heard a chauffeur blowing. And uh, they thought, maybe this is the chauffeur announcing the coming of Mashiach. So they ran to the great Maggid, and they said, Maggid, is this the, is this the chauffeur of the Mashiach? So the Maggid opened up his window and stuck his head out. And he came back and said, no, I'm sorry, it's not. Well, they were disappointed, but they were confused because you could hear it everywhere. So they said to the Magid, Magid, but why did you open your window and stick your head out? He said, well, I wanted to hear what you were hearing. In my house, I always hear the chauffeur blowing for Mashiach, for the Messiah, but I don't know what you're hearing outside. Literally, we're living in our world. And what Torah is, you know, very often, I know that when I was growing up, I was told that, you know, Tzitzit symbolizes this. Shabbat symbolizes that. Akipa symbolizes this. And I was convinced that Judaism is a, is a religion of symbols. Right? 
My tefillin symbolizes that. Well, why does it have to spend $500 for parchment that's written and then hidden to a leather box that I won't see? Right? This is a science of consciousness. Judaism is claiming to be a science of consciousness whereby you have the ability to engineer phenomena, to engineer your mind so that the holiness of God can penetrate into our perceptual world. If you look at number two, Rav Soloveitchik says what I said in the beginning. If you ask me what is Judaism, I'll answer you all of Judaism is in the words of a blessing, Baruch Atah. The recognition that the master of the universe, so to speak, needs our blessings implies that he requires us, so to speak, for his revelation of the world and our continuous desire to seek and find him. Does God need us? Right? Well, the actual the answer is yes. God needs us if we want to be in him to be in our perceptual world. God doesn't need us to be but he does need us to be in our perceptual world. Because if we're closing our eyes to God, then God will not be in our perceptual world. If we don't acknowledge love, love won't be in our world. If we're colorblind, color won't be in our world. And if we're God-blind, God won't be in our world. And it's that powerful, that serious. Let's look at a little bit more of these sources here. Look at number three. Again, Rev. Soloveitchik. What is the essence of a blessing? What is the meaning of the word Baruch? Does Judaism demand of a person to recite blessings in order to declare before the Holy One, blessed be he, words of praise? Or to say before him words of gratitude? Is that what it possibly could mean? He says, no. It is common to explain in a superficial meaning, meaning, manner the meaning of the word blessing as praise and the word bless as to praise, such that Baruch Atah translates as the name of God is praise. However, this explanation is not correct. All of the sages of Kabbalah, beginning with the Holy Arizal until the Vilna Goy and the Balatanya, reject this explanation. The expression Baruch, as it will be clarified by us, will show that the sages of the Kabbalah were absolutely right. The Torah assigns tremendous importance to blessings. And over here, if Soloveitchik points out that God blessed Abraham, uh, God blessed uh, uh, Adam and Eve, that they should be fruitful and multiply. And he points out in many, many places that the idea of blessing is always connected to multiplying, to plentifulness, to bountifulness, to abundance. Again, the same idea. Look at number eight. Uh, this is what I mentioned before with Soloveitchik. The matter is true, which we have known from time immemorial. We did not need Immanuel Kant to reveal the secret to us, that all of human perception is subjective, and relative. This is the kingdom called in Kabbalah Malchus, distinguished as a receptacle that has nothing of its own. All our actions, feeling, prayers, and thoughts depend on this. In Kabbalah, this sphere, the attribute of Malchus, in and of itself, is nothing. It's just a perception. It's just like a, a radio. A radio in and of itself is nothing. Right? It's meant to be a receiver and a transmitter of music. If there's no music, it's nothing. And so too, the Kabbalah is teaching that our minds are like that radio, that in and of itself it's nothing, but as a receiver and a transmitter of God's presence, then it's holy, then it's powerful. And that's the power that we have in our lives. You can look at number nine on your own, that's the Zohar that explains to you that 
the colors and the textures of the world are in our eyes. Let's look at number 11. Very amazing piece from our rabbis. You are my witnesses, it says in Isaiah, says Hashem, and I am God. Look what this Midrash says. This is my God, and I will glorify him. When I acknowledge him, he is glorified. But when I do not acknowledge him, he is only glorified by his name. Similarly, when I call the name of Hashem, when I call his name, he is great. If not, then so to speak, he's not. Another example, you are my witnesses, Hashem, and I am God. When you are my witnesses, I am God. When you are not my witnesses, as if I am not God. Wow. This is saying that if you do not bear testimony to God, then God won't be God. Now, of course, what do you mean God will be God? God will be God, but not in your world. You are blocking the presence of God in your world. Look at number 12. This is from the great Hasidic master, the, uh, Bretzl, the Rav Nachman of Bretzlev. And this we actually just read in Tisha B'Av from Eicha. Evil does not emanate from Hashem. That's an amazing thing from Eicha where we're talking about destruction of the temple. But look what it says over here. Amazing. From the mouth of the Supreme One, evil does not emanate. The blessing and the curse occur by the person in accordance with the vessel that he provides. As it is written, behold, I, be, I place before you the blessing and the curse. Specifically before you. This is so because from Hashem emanates a unified light, i.e. unified letters. The letters are arranged according to the person. If the person is good, then the arrangement is a source of blessing. And if not, the opposite occurs. Evil does not come from God. God does not decree any evil upon us. It's only light. It was light. It will always be light. But if you're looking at white light with dark blue glasses, then life looks blue. If you're looking at the light with rosy glasses, then the light looks rosy. But it's not the light that's changing. It's you. What has to change is you. And this is so important as we're coming close to Rosh Hashanah, which is a little daunting to think about, right? In Yerushalayim, it's very beautiful. You start to see already the blossoming of, of Rimonim, of pomegranates. And as beautiful as they are, it reminds you that Judgment Day is coming. But people think that the judgment is in God's hands. But he actually gave it to us. The judgment is in our hands. On Rosh Hashanah, when we are saying to God, give us a good year, uh, God is saying, you, you, you give yourself a good year, right? right? What, 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 you know, I only send blessing. I only send light. Now, the question is, is that blessing and that light coming into your life like a blessing and light or not? But it's up to us. Look at the next piece also from Rab Nachman. Number 10. Number 13. This is from Likute Halachot which Rabbi Natan, the student of Rav Nachman of Bretzli, wrote, this is a fundamental rule. From the supernal mouth, there does not emanate but a unified light. However, according to the nature of the vessel that receives the light, it assumes color and form. Who's that vessel? We're the vessel. If the vessel is whole, then the light assumes the aspect of blessing. Likewise, the opposite is true. Is true. So what did we learn here? And then I want to hear your questions. 
The most powerful word is Baruch Atah. Blessed be you, Hashem. The greatest power we as human beings have is the power to bless God. And what does it mean to bless God? It means to engineer our minds through the way we think, speak, and act in a way to become a vessel, a vehicle, a receiver, a transmitter of God's light, of God's presence into the world. If we do this, then the world we live in is a world of light. If we don't do this, then the world we live in is a world of darkness. But so much of it is happening up here. And Judaism is a science of how to engineer and take responsibility for how this world actually looks. And this is the power of bracha. And this is what we're here to do. I remember, actually, a couple of summers ago, my wife and I and the children went for a tour, actually a hike. And we were going to uh, Niagara, well, Niagara, we were going to some falls in, in uh, the Golan Heights. It was kind of getting late, and everybody says that you shouldn't do this once the sun sets, because it's, you know, it's not, it, you shouldn't be walking around there when the sun sets. Well, by the time we got the kids out of the house and this and that, which really enabled me to understand the miracle of getting the entire Jewish people out of Egypt in 18 minutes, because it takes us to get six kids out of the house in 18 years. And so we finally get out of the house, and it's getting really late. We finally get to the hike, the beginning of the trail, and it, the sun is starting to begin its setting, and we were told that you can get there within about 20 minutes. And my wife said, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this because this is not enough time. And I was very stubborn about it. And I said, no, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. The kids are really expecting this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And my wife said, well, you know, it's starting to get dark. I said, no, we'll just we'll go very quickly, take a picture, we'll come back. Anyways, sure enough, as we're going, it's getting darker and darker. And we finally get to the falls. And I said, okay, kids, we're going to go back. And before I know it, it's all dark. We're in the middle of this trail. It is pitch dark, and we hear these wolves howling and all these things. And it was just a horrifying experience until we finally got back into the car. We got into the car, and my wife turned to me, and she said, You were so right. That was so much fun. That really, really brought us all together. And I'm like sweating bricks. I'm going to need therapy for the rest of my life. And I looked and said, where were you? Like, what trail did you go on? And that just taught me, right? What you see is the way you look. And the way you look determines so much about how your life looks. And it's that serious, it's that powerful, that's beautiful, but that's the power blessing. God literally gave us the power to engineer our minds, to either let the song of God into our life, or resist it, push it out, and maybe the song of God actually sounds like horrible, static noise, when it's really the song of God trying to get into our lives. Hashem should bless us all from, and I think this is just a great way to start this retreat, because I believe that this retreat, as well as the amazing work of Chabad globally is an absolute Baruch Atah. All they want to do is increase the presence of God in the world. Because when there's more God in the world, there's more love, care, and respect. So Hashem should all bless you with the power of blessing. Thank you very much. And then we'll take a couple of minutes for questions. Yes. So tell everybody your name. Yes. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, the word baracha connects to the word brecha, which is a pool. And you're actually, you're actually pooling, so to speak, the energy, the presence of God into the world. Yes, excellent. More questions or comments? Oh, so I've, I've changed your life completely. You have no questions. Wow, what a boring retreat you're going to have. <laughs> yeah, let's hear another question. Somebody had a question here. What's your name? Rabbi. Okay, Rabbi. Shalom, Tip. Um, can you just uh, make your own personal comment about the, the significance of the bracha over food? Sure. Just my personal comment. You don't want something rabbinic or something. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's not just so simple to say food. Why not, you know... Right. Well, first, I want you to know that, as I mentioned before, the beginning of my journey back to Judaism, that was the literally the first thing I decided I would do. It made sense to me. You know, I eat a lot. You know, I mean, we eat a lot, right? A lot of our life is around food. And so you take a moment to be mindful and you say, you know, and I don't want this just to be an apple. I want this to be a receiver and a transmitter of God's presence in my life by becoming more mindful of God and recognizing where this, this apple came from. And, you know, I think today, living in cities, people, they, they think that apples grow in shelves on supermarket. I mean, you know, we were just with our kids up in the Golan, and, and you just see, like, apples growing out of a tree. And you go, like, this is crazy. Like, how's that possible? Something so beautiful and the fragrance and, and so tasty and nutritious coming out of a piece of wood. Like, you know, like, don't you see the miracles? And that's the whole point. There are miracles around us all the time. Some people live in a world that, you know, it's like Albert Einstein said, there's two ways of looking at the world. Either everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle. And Judaism is about everything's a miracle. But if you don't open your mind and your heart and you don't acknowledge that, then you live in a world of chaos. You live in a world that is a big bang rather than a great creation. And so all the more so, and, and in fact, Rabbi Nachman of Bretzlov explains that the first sin was through food. And the beginning of fixing this world will be through food. Because food has the power to lift us up and also to bring us down. Right? And so if I take the food, and in fact, according to Kabbalah, if you eat without making a bracha, it does you no good. That food will only feed your body and not your soul. But when you make a bracha on your food, you actually turn that food into something that nourishes your, your soul also. So the making of blessings literally changed my life. It was really the beginning of my journey back to Judaism because being mindful and recognizing the power of your ability to recognize God in your life is what allows God in your life. And you feel God in your life. More questions or comments? Right. Actually, I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow morning. Plug, plug. Uh, the question is, in terms of us praying in a collective setting, in a communal setting, and also when we pray, we don't just pray for ourselves, we pray for ourselves within the collective. You know, you're not supposed to pray just for yourself. You're supposed to pray for all those who are seeking healing, and may I be included amongst them. Again, it all goes back to what you perceive about yourself and about the world and about your life. 
And I think people are not taking responsibility about what you believe about yourself and what you perceive about yourself is going to determine what you achieve and what you receive. And it, it, is, it is really that way. And so, yes, the more you perceive yourself as part of a greater whole, the more whole you will feel. And I'm going to talk a lot about that in my talk tomorrow, which is holiness through happiness. By the way, just a quick commercial. Uh, I've written eight books. Five of them are here, uh, available. And uh, Shulamis is back there uh, making them available. Um, in terms of... Um, you know, um, a, a talk. This talk, uh, you might want to take a look of a book called "The God-Powered Life." Uh, but I have five books. If you're interested, I also have a website called RabbiDavidAaron.com, uh, and you can sign up. And I uh, send every week uh, weekly bite. I, I uh, actually um, produce animations, which is one of them I'm going to be showing tomorrow morning. And um, you know, I do articles and podcasts. And so, if you're interested in more of this kind of Torah, you can go to my website, and there's tons and tons of uh, audio files, MP3s that you can download for free. And if I can ever be of help to you, it would be an honor and a pleasure because that's the only reason we're here on this planet is to help each other and bring greater oneness in God's presence. So, that would be a pleasure. And that was just a little plug. But thank you for asking a question. One more question. Yeah, what's your name? Chavo Gober. Yes. Um, my question is that those of us in this room who heard what you had to say and is able to resonate with us and, and sink in and, and we could hear this message, um, that's great for us, but that what? how do we take that into the rest of the world with people who haven't heard this message, who don't understand, and it, it took you an hour to get it through to us, how, we can't, we don't have an hour to explain to those negative people in our home or life or community, you know, is there a catchphrase, is there a, a simple thing that we can give over to others to yes. resonate with them and help do something in their click in their head? Just look them in the eyes and tell them honestly they're lost. No, just joking. <laughs> just joking. I, yeah, I can, I, I'm jet lagged. I arrived from Israel this morning, 4.30 in the morning. I have uh, the right to uh, make bad jokes. Okay, um, that's why I think this is so important that we're here. First of all, according to Kabbalah, our minds are interfaced with the, and I'm talking about this tomorrow morning, our minds are interfaced with everybody's mind. And so if you here just had a boost of awareness of clarity, then that is already, we have changed the world. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't go out and teach, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go around peddling my books and telling everybody to sign up to my website. But, uh, but the truth is that, um, there are things you can say simply, but they have to be ready to hear it, which is the hardest part. What's so beautiful about being here, wow, what a, what a joy for a rabbi, is like you actually are interested in hearing us talk. You know, A lot of people, they've written this off sadly, and they don't really think that you have something to say. But a lot of people have not written light, life off. And they just don't believe that Judaism has a technology of how to really drastically improve the quality of their lives. And that's a long journey that we have in front of us to educate. And so the first thing is that we should be role models, right? And, uh, and, 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 you know, and look, I mean, I can just say what I do. Like I, I, I put out, uh, you know, little two minute things on Facebook. I post almost every day on Facebook. Uh, yeah, like what I had for breakfast and things like that. I'm just joking. But that's what my social media person told me I should do is, you know, take pictures of breakfast. That's what interests people. But no, no one would be interested in my breakfast. Um, 
But there are ways of just sharing little ideas, powerful ideas. But the most important thing is take ownership of your life experience and realize that what you believe is determining the quality of your life. And that's and that is I don't I can't think of a more important principle to adhere to is to understand that you have to take care of what you're believing about life. If you think life is horrible and only the worst is happening and and God doesn't love you or care, well that is what you'll experience because that is what you're believing and that's what you're going to be receiving. But when a person says, you know, I believe there's meaning to life, I believe there's a purpose to life, I believe that whatever I'm going through is some kind of opportunity, well, then that will change their perception of life and the way life will be viewed and experienced by them. And uh, the only way we can do is kind of share these ideas a little bit here and a little bit there and invite more people to come to you know, opportunities like this. And thank you for asking, and I will hang out a little bit more for private questions. But shalom, shalom. This is Rabbi David Aaron. Shalom. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.